This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. When I go home late at night, this is a song that I really like to sing right now. So I'll play it for you. It's a... called My Old Man. Jack Relish still dancing into the box. Will he play on there? Yes! Into the corner! Lansbury! And he already blown his whistle! The referee here, he's given it the other way. And for Welcome to the My Old Man Said podcast. I'm David Michael, the editor of MyOldManSaid.com. Joining me on the Aston Villa podcast that keeps it real, two of the Holtens Kingmakers, Mr. Dan Rogers. Welcome. Hello, sir. And Mr. Chris Budd. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Hello. You have all. You have all, my comrade. Acton. <laughs> we are here sitting still in a in a stupor uh, trying to recover from where's the butterfly effect of what our friend has uh, done in the 96th minute first of all it all kicked off in the away end with fans fighting stewards and police then it spun off even more that incident as uh, my old man said got banned from instagram for three days for putting up a video of the incident and the incident is you know what we're talking about it, it when... was so easy for me to hit the report button though i mean i'm going to do this with more of your stuff to be honest <laughs> <laughs> we, we are referring to uh, the incident where Grealish goes down obviously uh with the assistance of crystal palace players threads the ball through just lansbury dispatches it get out of jail point for villa 1-1 cue the scenes and uh, it never happened and the butterfly f- effect is that, you know, it's just shit goes down and you get a lot of wasted time. I can't post on Instagram for three days. People are getting arrested. Police are getting hopefully sacked and uh, et cetera, et cetera. And a steward. I hope he gets sacked as well. And referees are somehow getting a pat on the back. Yeah, well, we thought that VAR was introduced to the game to get rid of these farcical decisions but uh, we will get on to that subject uh, later on. Uh, coming up on the show, the death of Berry. More hijinks uh, in Iran, in the football world. One footballer who could potentially transcend sports in a big way. And also we talk about the Palace game, everything from the Crystals 
to our friends and VAR. And also, the Scott Hogan touch count meter is dusted out and wheeled out with a shining sponsor for the first time. But first, a new segment to the show, Named and Shamed. Rick and Co, R-I-C-K-I-E-N-K-O, left a uh, an Apple review on the show. On the show that me and Dan Rogers, who we haven't spoken uh, to each other for a while, first time Rogers has been on the show for a a few weeks, so uh, we had a good chat at the start of it. His review, three stars out of five. Really enjoy the show, but I listen to Moms for Villa content, half an hour in and still waiting. Now, these these misers are are people I'm not that keen on, just... uh, Just the the whole mindset. Somebody who really enjoys the show but has never left a a really enjoy the show review before. But because he was left waiting for mention of the villa, and you know, you tune in for the show, it's more about it's more than just the villa. I mean, we could just regurgitate the same old crap that you just hear everywhere. But it's also about personality and show and unpredictability. I mean, we would love to do a show where you have to wait an hour before the first mention of villa. Ah, that is my intention now, just to ruin ruin this (laughs) podcast for you. Well, yeah, no, I mean, I, I was, I was thinking, but I mean, it would, it would give Mister Rick and Co, or however you pronounce it. I was thought, well, let's just do a podcast where we just don't mention Villa, just to, just to spite. Yeah, him. let's do it, man. Let's be so self-indulgent. Can... What about a gin so... podcast? We could do a gin podcast, couldn't we? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, that could be a good idea, actually. Mm. Just to talk about gin for uh, an hour or so. And my favourite please... county, which is Warwickshire. Exactly. But we'll get to that. We'll get to that shortly. But Mr. Rick, Rick and Co., I mean, come on, son. If you're not going to leave a review when you live in the show, why why leave one when you just want to make a snarly little point? If you could remove that, that would be fantastic. And we will uh, make sure we mention Villa loads of times in the first half hour. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, moving on. If you're a fan of the podcast, please do give us an Apple review and give us a good five stars. Easy. Anyway, moving easy. Moving on to the three points. Mr. Dan Rogers, number one. There are now a mere 91 league clubs where will we watch our football? Bury are no more. And that's despite Sky Sports running it like it was transfer deadline day to their demise. And Ooh. Well, I think it was the writing was on the wall. I think there was some suggestion they were going to come back from the death and they didn't. Um, I, this probably isn't the place to, to go through it in it's a great deal about it as to how they arrived. We've mentioned it uh, exactly on two or three podcasts. It's been in the three points and obviously... So we'd be, uh, we'd be covering old ground. But basically, I mean, a Villa connection is that, that they uh, were supposed to be the under-21 EFL trophy group alongside Salford and Tranmere and Villa, obviously. So they know more. They're also in Lincoln City's league. So it's one last game for the Imps, one last game for the Villa under-21s. What happens with the points? Do you get the points or do they just chalk them all off? What happens with that? I've always wondered. Well, they haven't played a game yet, have they? They haven't actually no. played, so it's easy, I suppose, in that respect. So they don't so award the points. They just treat them as, as never yeah. having existed. Yeah. Okay. yeah, exactly, yeah. So in, in disappearing, they become the first team in 27 years since Maidstone to get... Yeah. Uh, I mean, the Football Supporters Association was trying to have uh, like a 27th minute protest because Berry went out of existence on the 27th of August. And it was 27 years ago that Maidstone went out. And it, it was just a bit contrite, I thought, of the idea of a 27 minute protest because it's not really that symbolic. I mean, there was... Uh, Around the the grounds of uh, England on the weekend, you know, there was people singing uh, the EFL is shit and uh, about the EFL being corrupt, etc., etc. The thing is, if if you took on every protest, you'd be be clapping every minute for something 
wouldn't you? You just end up applauding. Yeah, but uh, I think the EFL, the penny may drop. And one thing the Football Sports Association has done, which I'm on, on the National Council for, has over the last year come up with an actual set of regulations uh, for fit and proper, but like a proper fit and proper, not just uh, that you haven't been arrested as a director. I think that's the only <laughs> real, real test. Uh, so uh, hopefully the EFL will take those on board. I mean, we've had positive responses uh, from the football authorities on the uh, the document that we've pushed forward. So uh, we will see what happens, but something has to be done because you can't have clubs going out of business considering how uh, no. stacked the cash is, uh, obviously at the top echelons of the game. Point number two, Mr. Christopher Budd. So we are whisking over to Iran, where Iranian football legend Hassan Raushan, I'm sure you haven't heard of him either, uh, is apparently <laughs> to receive 74 lashes for spreading unrest nationally in the in the uh, national stadium. The strange link to Villa is that he apparently trained to become a manager with Villa, and he's going to receive these lashes as a symbolic gesture of defiance. He was fined 10 million reals, I think that's how you pronounce it, that's £195, because of comments about the club that he works at, youth system, where they are apparently more interested in making money from rich families than uh, producing pro players. So part of his sentencing in court when he was sued for libel. He's suggesting corruption in a dictatorship. Surely who not. Have, who been, surely who not. Been, surely not. Apparently after the ruling, uh, he, he thanked Allah for the verdict and, uh, and will obey the court's ruling, where apparently... Mm. Um, it will become sort of, you know, something of a national, you know, symbolic act if he can take these lashings in the national stadium. What a backwards, horrible, mean, backwards thing to do. Of all the people connected with Villa who you'd want to give 74 lashes to in a national stadium, I can think of far more worthy recipients. <laughs> so my, my two takeaways from this are, this seems to be the same youth system that Villa are uh, running, uh, talking about making money off rich families. Because remember how we've commented in past uh, episodes of the amount of double barrel names in, in the uh, Villa. <laughs> ah, yes. <laughs> making money on the divorce settlement. <laughs> Since there's not that many talent that's actually come through, uh, this seems to be happening uh, exactly how uh, Roshan has uh, laid it out in Iran. And also, when he was training uh, as to be a manager at Villa, was he the man that was going to come in instead of uh, Joseph Fengloss? Or was it Joseph Fengloss who were, was actually training him to be a manager? No, I think it was um, I think he was Kevin McDonald's right-hand man, wasn't he? <laughs> right, anyway... Uh, <laughs> Moving on to the final points, uh, this is an interesting one, and 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 obviously uh, women's football has been getting uh, a big push. Uh, obviously, in this country, the BBC, are, you know, they're actually showing it live uh, on TV now, uh, even friendly games uh, after the uh, the recent World Cup. The most interesting story I've read connected to the women's game is Carly Lloyd, the uh, American international Carly Lloyd, who has been asked by an NFL team to kick in their final preseason game. She's 37 and she was invited to a training session and I think it went on the internet viral. She kicked a 55-yard field goal and 55 yards. If you know your NFL is, is you know, top range, uh, it's probably the limit of what you allow your kicker to uh, to take on. So it's pretty impressive. I mean, it's probably hypothetical at the moment, but if there was a, a female kicker on an NFL team and you know we all see NFL as the most masculine testosterone uh, sport of them all that would be uh, certainly some statement anyway let's go on to this uh, palace game oh must we this debacle the first thing that, uh, that surprised me about this palace game was the crystals are still about do you know what i mean by the crystals no crystal meth <laughs> 
<laughs> That's how we got through the last eight years. <laughs> Finally sobered up. No, the cheerleaders, the crystals. Oh. I mean, there's actually there's a link from the NFL. Really, I should have uh, segued in on that. Cheerleaders, yeah, I forgot about matches. that. When the teams run on the pitch, they're they're given the guard of honor of cheerleaders either side. Pom poms and crystals. They really worked on the name, didn't they? Yeah, well, I totally forgot the crystal, but they've had them for a few seasons now. I remember when they came in, I think it was, you know, when we're back in the days when we used to be in the Premier League before uh, they kicked us out for three years. <laughs> but anyway, we went into this game with our friend. We'll call him our friend, Kevin mm. Friend, our friend. We'd lost the last six games uh, that he'd refereed in, and he loves to book us as well. I think he's uh, in pretty much every one of those games. I think it's 10 of the last 14 games he's uh, refereed. He's always booked at least five players, and uh, that uh, prophecy seemed to... uh, come true yet again i thought villa started pretty well and you know you're thinking oh, actually back-to-back wins could be a possibility here because palace are dangerous i mean mm. they can they're one of those teams that can beat you know one of the top four on on, a, on any given day mainly down because they're so uh they've got so many decent fast tacking of threats off the bench came townsend and benteke and you're thinking well there's a really exciting player uh jordan au as well i'm not a man i'd ever seen before yeah. <laughs> Want to new, watch. <laughs> new new talent. I mean, we're in a situation here where when you're gauging where Villa are at this particular moment in time, we got beat by a goal scored by a player that was in one of the worst Villa teams, the one that got relegated of all time. And he's the scaliest footballer I think I've ever... Hasn't he been relegated a... three seasons running or something? The year we went down, yeah. the year Swansea went down, and when there's someone else he took down as well. Yeah. Unbelievable. So hopefully that's not an indication of where we are at at the moment. Overall, it wasn't the greatest game, but obviously there's uh, there's a few uh, things to talk about. But first of all, uh, let's go through it quickly. Villa started bright, I thought, but they're lacking this. You know, they're lacking a clinical nature. They you you don't feel like Villa are a team that are going to score. If, I mean, obviously, mm. obviously we scored a couple against Everton, but it's 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 not as if we're we're threatening when we're on the attack. I don't think we're 100% ticking, are we, at the moment? That I thought off the last couple of games, Cruz perhaps not, not the greatest barometer, but I wondered whether we might see us start to start to click a bit more. Um, I'm not sure our midfield's got the balance and I do think Wesley can look a bit isolated at times and we haven't, got a, we haven't yet got a plan B, purely through lack of personnel, really. I thought the first half was a bit of a... It petered out a bit for me, from our point of view. Because after, after watching Villa against Spurs in, in the first half, we looked like we, we attacked with a te- intent on the counter. When we attacked, we, we seemed to be dangerous. And mm. this hasn't really been the case uh, you know, since then, really. Mm. I think my, my initial observations were I thought Gilbert struggled. And I thought that that lack of um, uh, like the penetration that we saw in his in his uh, debut game a couple of weeks ago, um, he, he didn't have as much success. And, and I thought a, a little bit of part of me thought, is it because we got some early bookings and we seemed to get a booking every time we kicked anyone as well? Yeah. And so we we seemed perhaps a bit un- unedged by that. But I, I didn't. We weren't very fluid. I suppose is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I think we we had. I think it was seven seven of the new signings were in the starting starting eleven, mm. and you can tell they haven't quite got these like little partnerships on the field mm. quite clicking yet you know like Trezeguet and Gilbert haven't really I don't think they've played together yet at all have they if I'm right in saying I don't think they played together in pre-season uh you know Yotta and Gilbert they had a little bit of game time I actually thought they played well against Everton I thought they might have um pushed on a little bit Louise for me he's a technically good player but 
I'm st- I still think the jury's out on him for me as a, in the Premier League. I just think the way he wants to play, it isn't. He hasn't got that snap to his game that you need in that position. You know, he's used to probably yeah. playing in a much slower league, and I, and mm-hmm. I think he wants to be a little bit more contemplative on the ball. And the fact that Grealish wants to take the ball off him, and Grealish was virtually taking the ball off Mings and Engels on, on the, at the back four. You think you can't. You can't yeah. have Grealish. This was something we talked about numerous it's times problem, last season. Yeah, when, before, when Villa yeah. were pl- yeah, when Villa were playing badly last season in the Championship, it was because Grealish was too was too deep, yeah. um, and that was something very notable. I think Trezeguet is yet to, you know, sort of wow me. To be honest, I think everybody looked at the as always, you know, looked at the YouTube clips of him and his dribbling ability mm. and thought, oh, he's potentially going to be quite, you know, quite a devastating player once he gets going. I'm sure he might be, but. He's, he reminds me very much like the early days of Al Ghazi, where mm. away from home against a team who are going to get at you, you think, well, if he's having a bad game, is he just going to front up and put a shift in? And I, I don't know if he's that kind of player. At the moment, he looks like a little bit of a luxury to take away from home for me. Yeah, I mean, he, he looks fatigued from the off. I mean, for somebody who's 27, he looks he looks like at least 20 years older, doesn't he? He looks a bit, <laughs> he looks a bit old for a 24-year-old, which is a bit worrying from the uh, from the off. But uh, yeah, he doesn't doesn't seem to be somebody that if if you were a fullback that you would worry too much about. I think you know a good a good winger traditionally mm. they'll get you on the edge of the edge of your seat, and he just he yeah. doesn't seem to do that. He, he doesn't seem like that kind of player. I don't I don't fancy him to beat people. <laughs> yeah, I think we've we've got to see a bit more from him. I, I do wonder. We've got a it's very early days for a lot of these players, and you know I think you're you we're seeing. I just mentioned that the. the the fullback, you know, already you see two two wildly different performances from him. But with with Trezeguet, I thought you saw a little bit of frustration creeping in. Um, you know, the the challenges that he made were uh, <laughs> how can I phrase it? But more than ill judged, I think. And when yeah. he was on the yellow, the second challenge was was clumsy. And it, it, pointless, it. pointless, pointless. Well, where where it was where it was on the pitch as well. It really was one of those classics. You have to ask what the player was thinking, or if he was thinking at all, really. And I think it's such a it's such a big a big division, and these sorts of the games where you're sort of circling to say, you know, we need to be competitive, we need to show intent, because these are the kinds of games where we might nick a win or grab a point. Everyone's got to be playing particularly well. There can't be any passengers, and I think that that's the bit where last season you, you we had time where we could watch an Al Ghazi develop in in the sandbox, if you like, of and understanding the game and the physicality and whatnot. Uh, Trezeguet looks tired, and I can only attribute that to the fact that he played all summer. But that yeah. would that be an excuse, probably? Yeah, it's one. I mean, the interesting thing is we're not on both flanks. We're not really potent down both flanks. And there's one no. there's one statistic. We, we've been a couple. I think there's a couple of games where we haven't had corners this season. And in this game, it took us. I think it was the last ten minutes. We got a couple of corners. Mm. Now, is that because we're not getting enough penetration down the flanks? You know, sometimes you know you get your crosses in and they blocks or whatever, and they go off for corners. That's one mm. of the you know the, the normal ways you get a corner. Can we read into this fact that we're not actually forcing corners? Because in every other team, I mean, for example, Palace had thirteen against us, and you know a lot of teams get into uh, around double figures against us, and surely that shows you that. I mean, you can talk about possession being even in the percentage, but when you look at the facts of actual effective possession, and corners would be uh, would be that. We're, we seem to be well well down on that. Considering what the blueprint of the Smith team is, it's meant to be mm. constructive possession. It's a bit of a territory thing as well. You look at where Villa are playing their matches at the moment. You know, even the you know Bournemouth, we had a lot of the ball, but it wasn't in the final third. We have a lot of the ball in the middle mm. of the third. The centre, you know, our you know, centre backs and full backs have a lot of the ball. 
Yeah, we've said before, you know, traditionally Dean Smith teams are set up to have the ball, keep it and play a ball retention based game. Well, at the moment, mm. we don't seem to have, as Dan said, that plan B to, okay, how how do we set ourselves up to play without the ball? And that was something, mm. that was why Fulham came unstuck last season was because they'd spent the season before, well, two seasons before in the championship, having 70% plus of the ball. And they just weren't used to not having the ball. Um, that's something we're going to have to get used to pretty quickly. I think Everton, they did a good job. I hope that that game and that performance wasn't a bit of a, an, an anomaly. And actually mm. the Spurs, mm. Palace and Bournemouth performances are actually a much more of a gauge of where we're genuinely at. Yeah. Do you not? Do you not wonder with the uh, and, and and this was? I mean, Everton. We I think we we discussed about uh, myself and David discussed how Everton had chances and were, were wasteful. You know, we were quite clinical in that game. Really. They were. It was uh, almost and, like and an away performance, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly. It, it it was, and I think that what it had was was that competitiveness that I that I was referring to earlier. And I thought yeah. I, I thought at Palace that um you know we just mentioned how Trezeguet is obviously not firing on all cylinders. I thought they worked Yotta out. Yeah, and um, they they contained that threat because I think if you'd watched the Everton game, you uh, you know just the, just just the goal back, the way that we look to be playing for Wesley is, and this is why I don't think we're going down the flanks. We're looking to feed that channel, uh, and I think if you saw that goal, you'd just basically say, "Well, starve starve that supply route." And I thought um, Palace did that that really well, um, to be honest. Yeah, unfortunately, Yotta's quite predictable, isn't he? He's very left footed, and he doesn't have that turn of pace to just get his head down and get to the byline. He has to. Playing and a I very one-dimensional way, yeah. And what it combined with, I thought, I thought McGinn. It wasn't McGinn's greatest game. I thought Louise was, as you say, um, struggling with the pace of the game around him. And Grealish was very, very deep. And what that meant was that I think when Yotta did have possession, he was looking up, and Wes- Wesley was the only obvious target. Or you coming back on yourself, and then you're running into trouble. And that seemed to be on repeat for me. And we seemed to lose our way in the lose, lose ourselves in traffic a lot of the time. Yeah, and I mean, we—I mean, to be honest, we we were lucky to still be in the game uh, as long as we uh, mm. were, because you know MacArthur had—I uh, mean, he had a guilt edge chance that he should have put away, and then he had a chance mm. that flashed across the face of the goal, which maybe AU could have got on the end of it. And obviously, when we went down to ten men, I thought it was yeah. Smith did exactly what he did uh, against Rotherham, where he thought, well, well, I'm going to bring Davis on, so we've got two big guys who can hold the ball up, and we, but we keep our three in the middle. I mean, as he says, he always wants to try to win a game, even in that going down to 10 men position. Now Villa were, I thought they were compact at the back. They didn't give Mm. uh, Palace much space and it looked like we could ride it actually out. And, you know, there was enough thread up there. Davis, there was a moment when he got the ball and he took on like four or five players. He was, you know, he was holding up and uh, rounding down the clock. But problem about Palace is, you know, they're almost like built to be a counter-attacking team. So Mm. I was a bit surprised that Villa went a bit gung-ho and they went up for the corner and then Palace broke straight away. I mean, Gilbert was still uh, jogging back. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when AU got that ball and obviously scored from it the chaps back were Grealish and, and Mings and I just thought I thought we committed too many people up for that corner and mm. we were going a bit gun-ho for the win because we could keep them at arm's length uh, mm. when they were attacking us because they are a counter-attacking unit and to be down to 10 men and then you know really pushing it on that corner I thought oh, this is a bit kamikaze and once that ball sprung you just thought we're in shit here yeah that that was my reading of of the goal, and uh, I just thought it was a bit yeah. naive by Smith overall. It, it, to be attacking that much when you're down to ten men, I mean, the idea of having two up top, I think it's a it's a system that works for us. We can still take a team mm-hmm. on with ten men, but you you don't you know bomb everybody up for a corner and leave it so open at the back. Oh. But it was naive given that we we hadn't adopted that approach for the for the you know earlier in the game really you know, and I thought when similar to yourself when when the ball broke and this this is the one. 
And there was two points I think that you made there that were quite right that negate Ming's really not have not covering himself in fantastic glory it was the break was quick. Um, ten men and and, and he found himself uh, <laughs> you know found himself very quickly with AU bearing down on him. I think the where where Ming's will probably reflect is AU turns that ball and leaves him for dead. Absolutely for dead and cuts across him with such ease, ease before finishing. I think he got a, got a bit lucky because when Grealish tries to uh, get his foot in, the ball kind of bounces hmm. back favourably for him. Yeah, I mean, he's powering across the, in between them, I know, but uh, it's one of those, really. I think that with, with the other circumstances, that uh, sorry, the other, uh, with, with the way that the, the play pans out in front of him and if we have to, if we have 11 men and, and we haven't come over committed I don't think it happens at all no um with that said it, it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't watch back well no it just it just seemed naive at the time uh I mean this, when, mm. when we had the corner I thought there's nobody back there mm. and uh, obviously uh, the worst possible scenario happened when you're down to 10 men and you just concede a goal you think mm. it's game over and but I thought the I don't think you can fault the substitutes I mean obviously you brought Horahan on as well which I thought since Louise wasn't really making much of an impact, mm, it was a positive. You've got the guy of M products who uh, is decent at set plays, so there's a chance there. Mm. There's a chance to snatch something yeah. because you know you, he's playing positive by having the two big chaps up front. Yeah. He's got Horahan, who's got some end product. So we're as offensive as we possibly can, which I quite, you know, quite liked and have no problems with uh, the team that uh, finished the game. And then obviously when we're pas- uh, pushing a bit more, Lansbury comes on because obviously Wesley's run himself out. And there's a couple of things there, I suppose. He- Heaton had kept us in the game yeah. up to that point. And in terms of a game plan, granted we'd conceded, but we'd got ourselves into a position where if the opportunity came, we could take it. And then in the 96th minute, the opportunity came. It did. And, uh, well, is it, it's going to be the rest is history kind of uh, kind of statement, I suppose. Picture the scene. All of your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This has obviously been debated uh, to the point mm. of overkill now. Yep. The main fact when you boil it right down is I think the referees have been told to let it play out until the ball is dead and that allows uh, you know in an incident, incident like this. And then then you can go to VAR retrospectively to sort it out, but if you blow up it's it's a dead done decision. Yeah. So why he's blowing up at that stage? He must be 100% convinced that uh Grealish is diving there but the whole idea of VAR is to get rid of mistakes and we're not just talking about any mistakes we're talking about you know the big the big fuck-ups basically (laughs) a pivotal error pivotal error exactly and this is you know what the pundits have been saying on BBC etc it's the worst decision they've seen you know in recent memory the thing is it's the worst decision despite having the best technology at your disposal as well and I think that where they where they find themselves is for some reason known only to the Premier League and the, and the FA with the referees the referees are have, have positioned themselves where they are apparently above any sort of criticism um, of having to answer for you know friends friends decision is in, in comprehensible because nothing that nothing he's the only person who saw what he saw yeah in my view I mean, you know we talk we've we've spoken about uh on the last was it a couple of shows ago about uh, robots mm. replacing linesmen well they might as well because linesmen are oh. a waste of time now because because <laughs> it's var that well, var decides that, that offsides 
Well, the baffling thing about this is, is not only that, and you have to wonder what's the agenda, because I mean, I wrote on my site that if, if you've got this technology and you've got allegedly highly trained, this is the best of the best referees yeah. that we have in domestically. You know, it brings into question for me, you know, take away Villa and all that, because you can say that we, you, I'm looking through claret tinted glasses, but it calls into the question the robustness of the whole competition, because what if you can't get with all that technology and the opportunity to review and all the training and whatnot, if you can't get that decision right, and um, for what what for me was a fundamental, yeah. <laughs> fundamental refereeing decision that someone on on a Sunday league pitch could have called, because you know it has been debated to death, but but I think the broad consensus it was a terrible error. Yeah. Yet yet no one no one from from the from the referees union has come to say, Do you know, it's a terrible error. We'll learn from it. Yeah, because. You know, look, you look at the Grealish, uh, from the Grealish point of view, the backstory is he's the most foul player in the Championship last season. He's the most fa- mm. foul player in the Premier League this season. Does he go down too easy? Well, he gets, people seem to gravitate towards him and, uh, you know, they do get stuck in on him. And Zaha got a touch to him and Cahill as well. And Schlupp as well. Schlupp I mean, he was well, touched two it? or three times before he went down. And when he went down, it wasn't like he's gone down. He's played the pass. He's made the pass to Lansbury. And that's mm-hmm. what he's looking. His eyes are following that ball to Lansbury. And then he gets straight up. Mm-hmm. He's not. He's not even thinking because he could have gone down on the first contact straight away, and, and I think that was just outside the box. He could have got a free kick straight away. Well, that's that's the point, isn't it? It was either a foul, a penalty, or the referee should have led the the play on and the yeah. goal. And that that's the baffling part of of, of the whole way it plays out. And as you rightly say, yeah. And this weather, I think even in in this instance, you get this weird thing occasionally where where slow motion can make things look different to how they did live. Yeah, you can make anything. Grealish's, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Grealish's momentum is actually, it, it's not him throwing himself for a dive, it's him throwing himself to make the pass. If anything, his momentum is carrying him through Cahill, whose challenge is clumsy. But I, I just don't read it. I don't read or see how, how Friend arrives at the decision that he does. And, and for me, it's um, it's. Let's play devil's advocate. I think he's thinking when you've got a desperate team and it's an injury time and you're in the box, some players, I mean, we, you know, we say, we'll try to play for the penalty before they even try to score a goal, if you know what I mean. It's, it's mm-hmm. just a, you know, it's a desperate desperate measure so I think he's siding on the uh, the side of caution there and and thinking oh it's probably a dive just to be on the, I think he's mm. thinking just to be on the safe side I, mean, I can accept an error I can accept an error and then taking that taking that on a step further forward I think if that- he gave the penalty I mean this is this is mm. what nobody's really uh, asked here he could have said well I can play I can play the VAR card here mm. by I'll give the penalty we'll review that on VAR, and if it's uh, a dive, then I'll book him. But this is the crazy thing about the whole thing, that VAR reviewed it and, and sided with it. Yeah, him. but I think what they did, if it's not a black and white error, then they'll say, as you were, referee's decision. You know, if they can understand why he's given that, then I think that's mm. why they uh, they go with the ref's decision. But then I'd agree with your original tweet that, that in, if that's the rationale, VAR's pointless. Yeah, exactly. Because... Yeah. You know, I think if if it, on on the same rationale, you'd you'd never reach you'd you'd struggle to reach some decisions in cricket. You know, you you don't see this in rugby. You actually you might even have quite a protracted review in something like rugby. Yeah. Hey, I was going to mention the rugby. the right outcome. Yeah. The I, right outcome. I was going to mention the rugby example that really can be learned from in Premier League. And I know obviously mm. the way the game works is different, but it's it's the lack of ambiguity in the referee's call. In that I know in rugby, for example, if if you use the Grealish example in rugby terms, 
The ref will let the game run. The ball will obviously go in the net and then he'll have the choice to say what he calls. So he'll either, it would not, in rugby, it'd be try or no try if he's not sure. Or if he's sure, he's thinking, well, it's clearly a goal. And then he'll ask, is there any reason why I can't award the goal? And then they can pull it back, yes. th- yeah. back through phases. And in rugby, you're talking, this can go back five, six, seven, eight, you know, yep. quite a yep. lot of, you know, a yep. couple of minutes into the phases. And if there's been anything spotted in the build-up, then they'll pull it back. That would have been, that kind of scenario would actually work much better in football. Yeah, because, I mean, the mm. reason I, I said he could have just said, that's a penalty and then we'll go to VAR, that takes away that, because I think he's 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 wired, his brain's wired to think, well, I think he's, you know, players are diving, he's desperate, it's the last minute, that's what's going through his head. But he doesn't have to think like that now. With VAR, he can just think, okay, penalty, I'm judging it for what, I, what I've seen. And then he has a chance to, you know, actually rectify that. But, you know, you're right, if, if he just lets it play on, because now, I mean, that was one of the things, the new rules at the start of the season, they'll play on. And obviously VAR mm. can... Uh, track it back if you see what you think is a foul you kind of blow it don't you that's that's what your your referee instinct is the the interesting point that a few people have pulled up on is that the the point in which the whistle was blown and there's a couple of photos that quite clearly show he has blown at the point the ball has left lansbury's foot yeah so it can be argued that well actually you have played on in theory if the ball has left lansbury's foot you're you're in theory you're into the next phase of the play yeah, the the ball has gone. It's not like the ball has gone to Lansbury's feet. He's taken a touch, and then you've blown up and mm. stopped the game. The ball's come to him. He's put his foot through it. Then it's hit the back of the net, and on the way into the net, you've blown up. It's it's, it's a dangerous place to be with VAR, really, because uh, it's you know it's quickly losing credibility. I think, and I think in part that's borne out by by the the strange ambiguity in decision making and and the abs- and the referees absolving themselves of any responsibility or accountability for for those decisions for me it's it's you know i think there's two schools of thought from people who who reply to my tweets or i see discussion around var is that they either don't want it or they don't you know they they can't see the the point of it in part because of the, some of the really poor decisions that are being made uh, and on the other side people who do want it say well you've got to go full var you can't go you can't full sit var, in this full no var. man's land <laughs> full var <laughs> T-shirts soon to be out. You can't have this ambiguity week to week. You know, there was an absolute shocking challenge on, uh, is it Tielemann? Yeah, Yeah, it was Tielemann's tackle, yeah. In the Bournemouth-Leicester game. That, you know, it can only be a red card. And I think we we discussed him briefly off there, you know, should we have something like a review call? Shouldn't, Shouldn't the fourth official just be saying to the referee, look, you need to come and see this on the screen? Every other person in the ground yeah. knows that's a red card or a penalty or a goal. Just if do the it. idea of VAR initially was to get rid of the you know the no brainer big mistakes, mm. and we've got this such as you know ambig- ambiguity still exists. Then I mean I suggested on Twitter that maybe managers should have a review, you know, a la the cricket, yep. uh, rugby, or whatever, and you know, for example, you know, minimal type things. So you could have like for example one review per half. And if it takes, mm. if you have a review in the first half and you get it wrong, then you lose the one in the second half, yeah. something like that. I mean, it's simple. It would stop the stop starting of the yeah. game. I see that. I mean, what I still don't understand is you, you've got a fourth official. What, what's the fourth official and doing? That's where the fourth official plays in because the ref, you know, the manager mm. can, is speaking to the fourth official all the time because he's standing there on the touchline. You know, the manager can just say to him, I want that review now. Mm. The only contention is when. Do you have that review? Can you only have that review in when the ball has stopped playing? I mean, you have a problem if somebody uh, gets some appended in the box, the ref doesn't give it, and it's a blatant penalty, and then the other team go down the other end and score. I mean, how, how does that yeah. play out? I think there's there's definitely... 
there's always going to be freak instances, but I, I would have to say that my view is similar to Bud's, I think, that, and then the rugby theory that, that let the phase of play play out. And, you know, nine, 99 times out of 100, that scenario I would have thought wouldn't happen. Yeah, but we know football, um, these scenarios always happen. <laughs> that's why, Listen, that's like, why as, we as, like the game. <laughs> that's true. And I think the point about football is that, it, it, you know, throughout the ages, it has innovated, it has developed, it has changed. But I think you can't, you know, this this has to go through another phase of change for me or people will very quickly be saying, you know, that, that this technology is not for us. And I do think technology can bring a lot to the game in terms of giving the right result. You've got to remember that without VAR, all these decisions happen. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And the little, <laughs> the, the little subplot through that is actually... So it's not VAR's fault. It's, no, it's the referee's fault in this exactly, sense. Exactly, yeah. I think he's a blithering idiot, I'm happy to say. Consistently. And he was actually consistently inconsistent through the game. He's a dreadful referee. Dreadful. And he's in a, a dreadful referee. Uh, I'm going to end my rant on this, is that I'm I'm tiring of, of these types of referees being held up as like the bastion of, a, of some sort of fucking impervious refereeing union that can't be questioned. It's just There was a patronisation from, I think, I can't remember if it was a, a referee uh, representative or an ex-referee where they said, oh, uh, I think fans just need to get used to the rules and then they'll understand them. And you just think, no, Fuck that's off. it's not the fucking no. point here. It's referees have made the wrong decision. That's, I mean, that's what they were yeah, saying yeah. In, in respect of VAR. In VAR, it's a lot of semantics where people on social media go, oh, VAR's got it wrong there. Well, VAR doesn't get anything wrong. It's the is, is it's it, humans. It's it's the it's glaring elephant in the room here that if if you were to if you were to create football tomorrow, there would be no referee on the pitch, probably. And you know you've got all the technology, you've got all the means to to do it. The, the refer, referee is unfortunately redundant in the in the, in the at the elite level of the game. He's redundant. And Every sport has a referee, does it? Does it not? Well, yeah, that's only because that, that it's only because it's always been that way. I think if you, you know, I'm not talking about, um, you know, the lower leagues or grassroots football here, but I'm talking at the elite level of of, of, of the sport. There's no need for it. And, um, you know, what what you've actually got is you've we've now created a system where you've got two referees, and um, both of whom got it wrong. Yeah. <laughs> so and ru- and there. ruined what would have been actually a really good week for Lansbury. I thought he played really well at Crew. He was yeah. deserving of his moment. He's actually <laughs> true. he's had a great chance and he's buried it. It's a great finish. Yeah. And and we're talking like he had three assists against Crew and that finish and cuz I said I you know on on Twitter That's I said I feel guy, for yeah. Lansbury because that would have resurrected his career at Villa. Really would. The look of disbelief on his face is is quite something, actually. I did this. I did like um, the fact that Grealish came out after the game and when when asked to be interviewed, he simply said, "No, I've been told not to because I'll probably uh, get into trouble." Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> anybody. I mean, McGinn said he you know he doesn't want to talk about it because he'd probably get a big fine. But yeah, from Lansbury, that, it was a shame because you know somebody said, "Oh, just you know, one girl's not going to make his whole career." It's like, well, Lansbury's been in you know been in no man's land and that goal like that gives mm-hmm. you such mm-hmm. a big confidence boost and you know you suddenly looked upon in a different light from your your teammates and you know personally it gives you a, a g on and he's had a good week and uh you know it's a bit of a shame there i mean as an aside i know you know i'm obviously ranting over here about this decision but that that is a genuine uh positive actually the the, the slow rehabilitation of henry lansbury into the villa squad because smith's always had a soft spot for yeah. him i think you know and, and it's interesting to see he's not he's around the periphery of the squad and you know he only got five minutes but he came on and he took his chance and to he's keeping uh, nakamba out at the moment yes marvelous nakamba uh, the solution is uh in terms of var is it's it's not uh the supporters not understanding it you know you, you're looking we've just seen a football club go out of business how does that happen 
It's because mm. the football authorities are so wishy-washy in, in pretty much everything they do. They create their own problems just through incompetence. And this this is the, this is the main problem. It's the only thing that the Premier League does well and all the, all the clubs do well is hype. Oh, they are superb. They, they hype the arse out of football. I mean, you know, if you're a Villa fan, all you're saying is, you know, Villa this, Villa that, everything's great, everything's great. Oh, great. Oh, Monday feeling in the morning. Oh, picture of Villa Park, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and then that goes on to, uh, you know, Tuesday, Wednesday, <laughs> Thursday. And, you know, at this uh, discussion on uh, Facebook comments, somebody was saying, I've never felt so uh, so excited about the Villa team and this we're, we're really together now and this is great. And uh, he said, you know, under Ron Atkinson, it was, you know, it was good in the Graham Taylor years but uh, the first Graham Taylor period he said but this is different this is and I said I I remember those two periods and that's when we had potentially the best team in the land we were like one or two players away from winning the title you know going away watching Villa in those days in the title race it's a whole different level of being on a mission and I said what what you've got to filter out is the 24-7 sledgehammer hype machine of social media because we didn't have the internet back then we didn't have like the club you know in-house media and fan channels and we had teletext we had club call we had the pink paper the sports we had, we had nothing we didn't have this big <laughs> hype machine and this big hype machine it's like exuding positivity and all these fan accounts that are just you know they're putting out quotes from the manager positive ones to get the likes because people will like that yeah dean smith said that i like you know i like this you know picture of tyrone mings like 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 everybody wants to be positive in the likes but yeah, as i said to this guy we've actually we've only we're just starting this journey we won 10 games on the trot mm-hmm. and that's it before that we were we were questioning what's happening we you know we were going nowhere <laughs> this, this was a team uh where are we now september this was a team nine months ago that couldn't pass to yeah. each other <laughs> you know couldn't win two consecutive games it couldn't so do it. you know we, we have been on this big hype machine which is fair enough because it's you know it has its uh has its pluses because it gets bums on seats and you know, you know we've never seen this amount of season Spending. season ticket holders <laughs> <Yeah>. season ticket <laughs> holders etc and you know, suddenly you're like you're going to get sell out for like against you know teams like Burnley and Bournemouth. I mean, if Bournemouth actually brought more fans, uh, we would have been a sellout. Yeah. So we're all being swept up, but in real terms, on the pitch, it's nothing like the Graham Taylor team with like you know David Platt and Alan McAnally. It's nothing like the Ron Atkinson team that challenged United for the league and should have won it. And if Dalian Atkinson didn't get injured and we didn't kind of fade at the end. And, you know, we were playing free-flowing football, but we were the, one of the best teams in the land. One of the two top think, teams in the land in both of those periods. And the hype was real. It wasn't, like, uh, manufactured. Mm. But the hype machine has created a warped division yeah. now that, that we're, you know, we're talking, what, 20, 20, 25 years on, and we've been out of it for three years. And it's it's caught me a little bit off guard, actually, because there's a there's a, a rejigging of the of the order, as, as I knew it, to be honest. And, you know, I think that the hate to bag out one team particularly, especially a local team, but but with the Wolves. Wolves fans, I think, are starting to see that really, that there is a there are glass ceilings in division, you know, that we beat Everton at home, they go and lose to them at Goodison Park and, you know, get turned around. And I think that there's a, you know, outside of the elite, elite teams now that everyone's trying to sell the same dream and they're spending a lot of money trying to do it. But the actual standard and quality outside of those elite teams, for me, I think there's good players in amongst them. Is the standard and quality of football any no, better? It's I don't not. know. And at, at the, bo- not, the bottom it? line of this hype, and football is predominantly run now by marketing people who don't mm. really know their football. It's not like, you know, listeners of the show. Nope. If you met one of our listeners in, in a pub or, you know, anywhere, you, you would have a proper football chat and you know within 
a minute, two minutes that oh, they know their football. These marketing people who you know, really don't, they don't know the essence of it. I mean, I've, and I'm speaking from experience, uh, you know, the last few me- weeks of meeting uh, such people. And, I, you know, I can't fake it. I'm not going to fake a conversation with somebody who really is just there. Oh yeah, you know we want you know we want to do things for you know for passionate fans and but it's like oh, it's just basically they just want it they're selling products and they want you to buy this that the shirt the you know the merchandise and the real you know these people they'll change their job and work somewhere else their allegiance changes as soon as the job changes why are we ranting on about this uh, the filter <laughs> of uh, hype. <laughs> We can call it the David Michael filter. We just need a sponsor. So the reality of the situation is, uh, well, well, let's let's roll it back to where Villa are at the moment. It's still not panic stations. And it's just just, just something else. It's just when you look at that bench and you look at what Palace were bringing on, and even if some of these players are over the hill in terms of they, maybe they're just happy to pick up the wage check now. I'm not necessarily talking about age, but you're thinking, oh, they're bringing on fucking Townsend and Benteke, and this is Crystal Palace no disrespect but you know they're mm-hmm. not and we really haven't got that you know we haven't got a even if we brought on an au or something where you think well there's a you know potential goal threat there i suppose you considered codger in the same uh, bracket as him but we we not we haven't got we're not bringing off another we haven't got a trick to play if you know what i mean i think we're we're new and we're ambitious and we're very wealthy but we are far from established yeah in in, mm. in sporting terms you know we this we we don't know where our pecking order is yet. You know we don't know if we should be going to Crystal Palace and expecting to win yet. You know the fact mm-hmm. that the fact that we've beaten Everton suggests we've got it in us. I mean it's hard to say whether you know how good were we, how bad were Everton, blah blah blah. But I think we discussed last time. I thought Villa were good value for a draw at Spurs, a draw against Bournemouth, and if they'd have got a draw against Palace, you know if, if we'd have come through that Palace game and had three draws and a win from our opening four games, everything would be rosy in the garden, wouldn't it? Everyone would be like, wow, we've started superbly so that the margins are so fine. But at the yeah. moment, Forgetting as we're, well. just, we're just not yeah. quite getting little breaks. Now, did we deserve any look at Palace? Personally, I don't think we did. But you kind of have to make your own look a little bit. And I just think maybe we're not, I mean, McGinn has already said it, maybe we're not being brave enough to actually earn that little bit of luck and those little breaks. Mm. Whereas we kind of were against Everton. To, to wrap up what my thoughts on Palace were, that we're, we're, we're in that mini league with teams like Palace, in my view. That you know, Prior to that game, they'd beaten Man United, but they'd got knocked out of the cup by Col- Colchester and lost to Sheffield United in yeah. the league. So, you know, there's inconsistencies there. We've we've got to, I think, as, as, as was said, that we had an opportunity at Spurs that I think ultimately their class told. Bournemouth, we made two stupid mistakes and we're out of the game before we'd even started. Um, and, and I thought Everton was, was a good home win. For me, we've 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 got to address we've got to we've got to address the final third. We need a plan B, um, and I think um, come January, uh, if, we, if we're still in good shape, I th- we're going to need to strengthen. I do I do think yeah. that, and I think that was inevitable for a prem- from a promoted. I think it, come, it comes from midfield for me, in terms of how we defend. You no, know, because I actually think our back four, generally for the most part, has actually played pretty well. Back four and keeper mm-hmm. as a, as a unit have worked well together. But the, the protection they've been getting from the three, call it the five, in front of them just hasn't been good enough. And then yeah, what mm. that five can, off, can offer as a forward, you know, as a progressive unit, we're yet to see, you know, what the, what the real plan of attack is. 
the flanks for me, even you know, from full back to wingers, is just or wide midfielders, however you want to class them, has has not impressed me one bit. And that was mm. the mm. area of the pitch. If we were going to progress and be a better football team than we were last season, that was where it was going to all happen. Is it fair to say that we're just we're a new team? Yeah. We're not drilled. You know, we, we we said about Bournemouth, didn't we? Bournemouth didn't have any class players, but they were a very well oiled unit. Palace, mm-hmm. kind of similarly, these teams we're coming up against are. They're established teams. They've played together for a long time, yeah. and they have and a, two excellent managers. as yeah, well. Yeah, and they and they, they know that they know their shit. They know how to get the job done. We 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 don't. We didn't last year either, really, for long. Completely, periods. it's it's early days. I mean, I'm, I'm not getting excited until ten, twelve games in because you know these players have only just started. Some of them have only just moved mm. to the country as well. I mean, I, I wouldn't. You yeah. know, if we play head to head Norwich tomorrow, I, w- I would say Norwich will be the favourites just because they've got that team that's been together for the one that got them up last season and they play together they haven't just gone out and bought a whole new team so to speak same as Sheffield United who've started really well yeah you know these you're talking about well-oiled units I think that's the thing certainly that's been my overriding thought of um of Villa is that we just we're not a well-oiled unit yet no Sheffield United for me really missed a trick by not signing Scott Hogan on a permit. Yeah, and uh, I'm I'm not linking into it just yet. But <laughs> <laughs> do it, come on. No, there, there was one mention I wanted to say uh, in in the uh, we're, we're gonna carry this little. I think it's a little through line we should carry on. Who, who's better, Mings or Engels? And uh, I think Engels won this <laughs> week. And Dan, ha- I think he oh, did this week. Dan has been the the sponsor <laughs> of uh, Bjorn Engels. Chris still. I'm a fan. Chris doesn't know what country is from. <laughs> I thought it was Swedish. His name is born. I, I knew we. I, I knew we'd bought him from Belgium for some yeah. reason. I thought he was from elsewhere. Yeah, I left that in the last podcast. I couldn't resist. Sorry. Thanks, mate. Brexit means Brexit. Brexit means yeah. Brexit. But uh... <laughs> they're all the same. If they're from that side of the water, they're all the same. <laughs> but, but two two things about uh, Engels, which I, I liked from from the Palace game, was his reaction when Grealish got butts. If it, if it's a gif, it would be the best gif you could possibly have of somebody finding <laughs> some situation completely unbelievable. When the when the referee mm. books Grealish. Engel's face and then he's just like complete bewilderment and his head in his hands and he's like what the fuck is this Premier League bullshit <laughs> it reminded me and this is this will take people back hopefully is do you remember the reaction when uh, was it uh, Ian Taylor's reaction when Shearer was sent off many years ago for, and he was red carded for a nothing, oh, I remember nothing that. coming together. He, he backed into someone, didn't he? And got a second yellow card, yeah. if I remember rightly. Up at Newcastle. And and Taylor just like head in hands, laugh, almost laughing in the referee's face at this. But Engels' reaction, like you say, at Palace was uh, was a similar just look of absolute bewilderment. And then when it kicked off, he spotted the policeman with a baton beating mm. up the Villa yeah, guy. He, he, piled, he piled in, didn't he? Oh, the assault. Yeah, the assault. We're talking about the assault. Not even alleged. Yeah. And uh, he, him and he went into, uh, he was try- you basically saying, you know, this isn't on. And the stewards were like, say, no, no, you're not allowed to mix with the ravel. And, uh, you know, pushing them away. And he was walking away. And then he would turn around. And, and it was like, he, again, he, he just couldn't believe what was happening in front of his eyes. He was thinking, what is this <laughs> Premier League bullshit? This is meant to be the best league in the world. What is this shit show? Yeah. Send me back to Europe. <laughs> Get me away from this shambles. Poor poor chap. Staunch Brexiteer bud that can God, be. Clearly name. not. So uh <laughs> so yeah, I felt sorry for both Lansbury and Engels uh, after that game and then mm. obviously every Villa fan for what obviously transpired. Eventually, before we go on to the 
to the grand finale because I think we need something to cheer us up. So we will have a uh, fantastic Scott Hogan touch count meter. It's plugged in, it's revved up, it's ready to go. But first of all, just a big shout out to the new My Old Man Said patrons that have joined the crew. Some of them don't actually exist, uh, but uh, the ones that do, uh, thank you very much for uh, supporting the show. Julian Barr, Neil Brooks, Steve Crawford, Nige Cook, Julian Walford, Adam Britton, (laughs) Willie Stroker... (laughs) (laughs) And also, thank you for uh, Matthew James and Virginia Simpson for upping their pledges as well. And also Hugh Yass, who uh, doesn't actually exist, but I think it's meant to uh, rhyme with something else. But thank you very much, and please do uh, support the show also, and you'll get access to bonus podcasts and also uh, rewards as well. We have a a few things in terms of rewards swinging patrons' ways this week. Uh, Just go to my myomansaid.com and click on the patron option and you'll find all the details there right then scott hogan the man that sheffield united if they wanted to qualify for europe this season should have signed it's time for the scott hogan touch count meter so we are proud to be sponsored. Yes, the Scott Hogan Touch Count Meter has a sponsor for this episode. And we put the word out for sponsorship because uh, in the pre-season or the summer, I was negotiating with a betting company, but it's, I just don't want to go down that path. So we thought we would uh, open the doors for more local business or businesses that make quality beautiful products. And so our first sponsor of the Scott Hogan Touch Count is Warwickshire Gin Company, which is partly run by a Villa fan. So big shout out to him. They are masters of handcrafted dry gin. They have three uh, three beautiful bottles, actually. Very, very, very nice bottles. Lemmington on Parade, Kingmaker and the Philosopher's Daughter. So you'll be able to check out their website on the show notes. But also they are offering up a triple pack of their gins for uh, competition. We're going to run this on Instagram, but I've been blocked on Instagram. <laughs> so that, so, But hopefully by the time this podcast uh, comes out, we are good to go back on Instagram. So... Uh, head over to the My Old Man Said Instagram accounts and I will put details up there of the competition to win a triple set. You have to be age 18 and over, obviously, to enter. And you can win a, a triple box of these fantastic handcrafted dry gins. Just I mean, that's a like prize, the post and follow uh, Warwickshire Gin Company on Instagram as well, but they'll be tagged into the post. But yeah, rather than... Uh, not free bet nonsense and that we're going to give you something uh, beautiful and something to uh, ease the pain if, if our friend is the referee again in any match you'll have a uh, a weapon you'll have something to uh... <laughs> <laughs> no we don't we don't we don't you know don't throw these bottles at refs that, that's not the idea the... no no you'll be able to toast our victories yeah, exactly you know so when you are celebrating good times make sure it's Warwickshire gin time exactly it will be the perfect drink to celebrate our renaissance after the international break. Right, Scott Hogan, Touch Count Meter. We have to decide who is going first. 
Dan. Dan is going first. So where we proposed, obviously Scott Hogan went to Stoke. And what we proposed <laughs> was this would be kind of a portal. It would be a little section to have a look back at the championship, that domain that we uh, that we left. Uh, and currently we're in the bottom three. So we may be making a swift return. Uh, but uh, <laughs> let's hold fire on that thought just uh, for at least a good few months. But uh, funny enough, Stoke, uh, if we do get relegated next season, we probably won't be playing Stoke because they're currently bottom of the league on one point. Mm. With thanks to Jack Butland. Jack antics. Butland drops Oof. as well. Oh dear. And uh, unfortunately, to add more salt into the wombs, they got beat by uh, the Blues uh, at the weekend 2-1. Not a good luck getting beat by the Blues at any time. But Stoke, when they dropped down, they were they were favourites that the next season to go straight back up. And when you look at the team, there's still, you know, there's still a decent squad there that you would think. And they're a very wealthy club, aren't they as well? No, exactly. And uh, obviously they're getting down through their parachute payments now as we full obviously had an experience of that. So anyway, in this uh, tragic 2-1 loss against the Blues, Scott Hogan, and this is a bit uh, worrying. Uh, well, not for us; we don't care. But Scott Hogan was started on the bench uh, this time, mm. so ah, his usual spot, the bubbles then. burst already on that account. Uh, came on seventy eighth minute. You know how we're going to do this. I will announce who's who's the closest after the first two guesses. If you haven't nailed it, and then on the third guess, if you're within three and the other one isn't, then you can be declared the winner. You'll feel it out when we go along. Anyway, so Dan, first guess. Scott Hogan came on 78th minute, so he's had 12 minutes. How many touches did he get? He had seven touches, David. Chris Bud, first guess. Three. Mm. Right. Second guess, Dan Rogers. Oh, maybe I should write these down, actually. So what was the first? Seven and three. Right, second guess, Dan Rogers. You're not allowed to have the other person's numbers, by the way. Eight. Chris Bird. Five. Right. At the moment, Chris Bird is the closest. <laughs> so Chris has the cho- choice here. Do you want to go first on this final guess or second? I will go first, yeah. Three or five. Four. So over to... Uh, what's what's Chris had? <laughs> he's had three, four, and five. And you know he's the closest. Is this ridiculous? Two. Dan Rogers wins. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> wow. It's, it, it, it was one. It was one. Oh, my God. That's fucking oh, awful. Bring out the gin. Bring out the beautiful Warwickshire Gin Company what? gin. So, Pour it into my like... veins. Drown out the noise of Chris's complaints. The fact is that he's lost. I am going to be supping Kingmaker, as you should, dear listeners. It's one nil. I, there was genuine tension. So, 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 as always, <laughs> was... if in doubt, Think less. Yeah, well, you know, it's, it's the, being the philosopher's daughters. Considering he only idea. gets about 10 touches in 90 minutes. It's like, <laughs> did he have a shot, Dave? Did he get a shot Dang, away? I you did, no. Of course He's not. But let's keep this on the, uh, on the Villa touch. Birmingham, mm. in their lineup, had a, uh, a certain Daniel Crowley. Ah, yes. Remember him? Yeah, the young lad. Yeah, he was a he was a player that came through Villa's youth system. Was that actually on the bench when we won the next-gen trophy against Chelsea in Lake yeah. Como and he was how old was he like 12 yeah, I think he was 16 yeah he was <laughs> he, he was like somebody who was who was pitched as so good and super talented and he, you know he was like super skillful 
the next Gary Gardner. What was he the next? I think he was the next. People are comparing him to like Wilshire because he, he's a great passer. I don't know what his injury record was like. And then, anyway, then Arsenal poached him and we were all pissed off about that because he was like the genuine talent. Him and Grealish were the genuine talent of that youth team. Obviously, he was a bit too young to break into the next-gen team, but good enough to be on the bench. Uh, went to Arsenal, then spent a lot of t- time in the Dutch leagues on loan and uh Suddenly he's fallen from grace and he's ended up at Birmingham City, which uh, what a f- which isn't a good look. Anyway, he came on as a 53rd minute substitute. How many touches did he get? So we're talking 37 plus minutes. 19. Chris Budd. 15. Second guess. 20. Second guess, Mr. Bird. 22. Oh my God. Right. Uh. Chris Budd is the closest... Going into uh, the third round. So Chris has a choice of going first or second. Uh, 24. 25. Dan Rogers has got him. <laughs> oh, I'd just like to take this moment to thank my friends at the Warwickshire Gin Company for making this possible. Although uh, although he's, you're way off, so I don't. maybe there should be a new rule. Uh, How far are we off here? Like 41 touches he had. Shit, Listen, David... David friend, Michael, I think you should <laughs> pipe down. <laughs> All right, well. Anyway, I'm off to Leamington on parade, so I'll see you boys later. 2-0. Yeah. I think that's all we need to go for. I had a nice third one. and It's another win for the gym. <laughs> the third one was, uh, just for shits and giggles, uh, Rogers has won that 2-0. It was actually Gary Gardner. He came on 83rd minute as a substitute. Just because, you know, we might as well mention this because we like to see how these old Villa boys do. How many touches did he have? 83rd minute. Dan Rogers, you can go first. 15. 15. In seven minutes. Yeah, he's, well, he's the best. He's the, it doesn't matter if one now. <laughs> I'm already. I'm reading the back of the bottles from the Warwickshire Gin Company, available online, very reasonably priced, thirty five pence. Please, uh, Mister Bud, give me a give me a guess. <laughs> uh, ten. Next round, quick, Rogers. Fourteen. They also sell chocolates online. <laughs> fifteen. Uh, he's already had fifteen. Rogers has gone for fifteen. He could, that number is taken. Sixteen. You're not much of a philosopher's daughter, are right, you, Chris? So not not when it comes to Gary Gardner. No? <laughs> the, the closest. <laughs> the closest is Chris. Oh well, consolation, third, isn't it? Third round, Chris. First or second choice? Uh, Eighteen. Seventeen. Uh, Do I have seventeen? You're kind of way out still. You're out by uh, at least five. Six. Wow. I'm going for six as a preliminary. <laughs> <laughs> well, Bud's already won it because of his. Uh, he's got it the closest. Sorry, sorry. Now, what was the score overall? Two now. But anyway, what do you? What would you go for, Chris? If you yeah. went for another guess, I'd probably go for a shot of philosopher's daughter. Come on, hurry up. <laughs> um, nineteen. Fucking hell, you're going the wrong way, son. It was four. He had <laughs> wow. Is he, he that had bad? four touches in seven minutes? And he's a central midfielder, and that's why he couldn't get a game. Exactly. You see, from this, from the Scott Hogan touch can, it's like a scouting report. Anyway, so well done, Mister Rogers. That was a storming victory. If anybody has any ideas out there for tweaking the rules, because it's obviously a work in evolution, please do get in touch. Potentially incorporating gin, but it's getting there. I think it's better than the higher and lower thing. 
Yeah, that's rubbish. Mm. It's uh, so it's there was there was definite genuine tension there, and the the spaces <laughs> of these two thinking will have been edited down considerably because <laughs> uh, I don't think you want five <laughs> minutes of silence while they're trying to work out what uh, touches they're going to go for. Right on that note, I think it's game set and match. Please do follow the podcast on uh, Spotify, Apple, or whatever. Sp- podcast utensil you uh listen to this on uh please do join the mad few group on facebook that's normally uh you, you can find the links there in the actual show notes anything to add gentlemen before we disappear off into the international break how are you feeling about villa out of one out of te- one to ten dan rogers five <laughs> 6.5 i win again <laughs> right no one's <laughs> winning here dan <laughs> we're all losers <laughs> on that note it's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from them goodbye goodbye my old man said away days are great but there's nothing quite like playing at home the same goes for mcdonald's maximize your home ground advantage with mcdelivery Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.